So are you really nervous or really excited? I'm really, really nervous. You may kiss your bride. have anything you want to say to the bride and groom? Yes. It was a beautiful oh, wedding. Gorgeous. Jordan and Claire, we love you hey. so much. Look, Crystal, look. Oh my gosh, Lacey. What? What are those? Those are pretty oh going. What, what, what are you? Oh my god, what's happening? What's what are you? What, you got, why am I going? Oh, oh yeah. Good morning, Orchard Church. Take out your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, we just finished an eight-week study in the book of Philippians. So if you know where Philippians is at, go two books to the right of that. Past Colossians, you'll be in the book of 1 Thessalonians uh, this morning. As you're turning there this morning, uh, I want to give an update. Last week when we closed out Philippians, we talked about generosity and the incredible generosity of Orchard Church. And we gave people an opportunity to take part once again in a 90-day tide challenge and once again Orchard Church showed uh, their generosity we had over 75 families and individuals sign up for our 90-day tide challenge so can we just celebrate that this morning that is pretty awesome pretty awesome well today we are starting a brand new three-week series it's gonna lead us right up to Easter called the end so I guess you could say this morning this is the beginning of the end Appreciate the courtesy laughs. Thank you very much. It will get better. Hang in there. And we're talking about the, the end and, and the last days. A lot of people ask questions like, are we really living in the last days before the return of Christ, the end of the world? Uh, when will the end of the world take place? And of course, you have all these people throughout the years and centuries that have tried to predict dates when the world is going to end. Uh, how many of you guys remember when Y2K happened, the year 2000? Uh, I remember that everybody said, you know, year 2000, we go from 1999 to the year 2000, the computer's going to freak out and they're not prepared for it. It could be the end of the world. And I remember I was at some friends in our church house and we were, you know, having a party on New Year's Eve, December 31st, 1999. We were partying like it was 1999. Some of y'all get that. And then, boom, the year 2000 came and nothing happened. It was like this ma massive letdown, you know. We just went on like normal. Uh, recently, the Mayan calendar, you remember this back in 2012? Uh, the Mayan calendar ended on December 21st, 2012. So a lot of people thought that was going to signify the end of the world. And of course, it didn't. Uh, but I think we finally figured out the secret to the Mayan calendar and how we misinterpreted that in this little cartoon. He says, so how come it ends in 2012? I ran out of space on the rock. That would explain it. And then most recently we had some blood moons that take place. You know what I'm talking about? The blood moons. And there's some prophetic scripture about blood moons. And people thought that might signify, you know, the rapture, the return of Christ, the end of the world. And, um, yeah, but it didn't. I, I was Googling when is the next predicted date. And it's a date in the year 2020 that somebody has predicted is going to be the end of the world. Here's what I can tell you this morning, Orchard Church, about the end. Anybody that tells you the specific date, they know the date of the end of the world is not telling the truth. And I can guarantee you the 100% accuracy that if they pick this date and said they know, they're wrong. Because Jesus already told us, nobody knows the day or the hour of the return of Christ except the Father who is in heaven. And so if you're one of those that wants to set a date or you think you've come up with a date, I would love to take that bet. 
I will bet you that that date is not the right date. You know, million dollars, you, you call it. You say, Pastor, isn't that gambling? Not if you're out of debt and if you win, you tie 20% on it. That's in the first book of opinions. You can find that in your Bible. It's in two opinions. Um, but uh, you, if they pick a date, they're, they're going to be wrong. Now, you say, what if they happen to just guess it right? So let's say you pick a date and we bet a million dollars and you just happen to guess right. Well, if you, you guess right, you know, um, then I guess the world ends on that day and uh, I'm out of having to pay you a million dollars. But if you're wrong, you pay me a million dollars. It's kind of a no-lose bet is that we're talking about here. But we do believe that the Bible teaches that the world is going to end. That at some point it's going to end. Now the question is, how is it going to end? And people have speculated a lot of different things that maybe it's going to end with some apocalyptic flood or there's going to be some runaway planet, some asteroid that runs into us or a global warming is going to get so bad that we're going to be seared by the sun or, or maybe there really are aliens and little green people and they're going to come and get us. I personally side with the small but reputable group of people that believe that cats are going to miraculously multiply and just take over the world. And that could be the end of the world. Well, you know, here's the good news. We don't have to guess at this and the details of this because we have a book, the Bible, that tells us what is going to happen and what we can be looking for. And one of our most important values here at Orchard Church is we always ask this question. What does the Bible say? Let's just say that together. What does the Bible say? Not what does Orchard Church say, not what does Pastor Doug say, but what does the Bible say? And the Bible has a lot to say about the end of the world and what is going to take place. Now, I'm going to warn you now and tell you what we're going to talk about in the next three weeks can be a little freaky. It's a, it's a little bizarre. It's a little bit strange. Just like some other prophecies that you read about in the Bible that God said were going to happen, and they did happen. And, you know, the book, the Bible uh, means collection of books. The, our Bible is made up of 66 different books written by 40 different authors over 1,500 years of time. And yet it reads like one continuous story because there was one person who was really the author and his name is God. And in the Bible, what is interesting is over 20% of the Bible is prophecy where God predicts that something is going to happen in the future and then it happens. And you know how many times the Bible has been wrong about prophecy? Zero. You know how many times the Bible has been right about prophecy? 100% of the time. Let's just take the, the uh, first time that Jesus Christ came to this earth. There were over 115 prophecies about the Messiah who would come. Where he would be born. How he would be born. What family line he would be born. How he would live. How he would die. And every single one of those prophetic prophecies about the first coming of Jesus Christ came true just like the Bible said. And here's what's interesting. There are over five times as many prophecies and predictions about the second coming of Christ and the end of the world as they are the first coming of Jesus Christ. And so just as we can trust the Bible when he came the first time, I believe we can trust the Bible of how he's going to come the second time. If anybody else agrees, say yes. So that's what we're going to be looking at over these next three weeks. What does the Bible say? Now let me tell you where we're going in this series called The End. Today we're going to talk about the return of Jesus Christ when he comes the second time. Next week we're going to talk about your end and my end. That we're all one day our life is going to end some way. And we're going to stand before God and we're going to be judged. It's different for believers than unbelievers. And what is heaven going to be like? We'll talk about that next week. And then the third week, believe it or not, we're going to go through the entire book of Revelation in about 35 minutes. It's going to just be a snap 
snapshot overview to give you some handles to understand uh, a very exciting but very confusing book for a lot of people. And that's what we'll do the third week. Now, I want to tell you right up front that when you start talking about the, this subject, the end of the world and the rapture and the second coming and the tribulation, that it can be a controversial subject, especially when it comes to the timing of these events. And we're not here to argue about the details and the timing because believers believe different things. Good believers, good scholars believe different things about the timing. Now, here's what we do believe here at Orchard Church. We do believe, without a doubt, that Jesus Christ is coming again. If you believe that, say yes. So we, we got to agree on that. Now, we may disagree on the timing, but, but it is essential we believe that he is coming again and that we're ready for that event. One of our values here at Orchard Church when it comes to beliefs is this. In essential beliefs, we seek unity. An essential belief is that we believe Jesus is coming back. In non-essential beliefs, like the timing, we offer liberty and freedom to maybe see it a little bit differently. But in all beliefs, we offer charity. So we want to approach it in that context. So today, we're going to jump into a very famous passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, where Paul is talking about how the end of the world is going to begin to take place. And I want to give you the context. Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica. And they were, these first century Christians, even though Jesus had only been gone, you know, about 100 years, they were already anticipating and looking forward to his soon return. And they couldn't wait. And they were excited about it. And they were looking for it. And they were praying for it. But they were a little scared and a little worried, like a lot of people are when you talk about this subject, because some of their loved ones and friends who were believers had already died. And so they're like, well, when Jesus comes back, what's going to happen to them? They've already died. Are they going to miss it? Are they going to be left behind? And Paul writes this to them to encourage them and bring them great hope. And don't miss this, Orchard Church. Because it never fails when we start talking about, you know, the end times, the return of Christ, that a lot of people get scared and they start freaking out. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, these ought to be the most exciting three weeks that you have over the next month. Because we've read the end of the book and we win. This is not something to be afraid of or scared of. This is something to be encouraged by. Amen? That Jesus Christ is returning. You believe that? All right, then act like it. You guys are like half asleep this morning. Come on now. If 8.30 can be excited, you guys could definitely be excited in the 9.50. And so I hope this will encourage you and you'll be excited about these events. We sang about it this morning. Even so come that he's coming. He's not going to delay. So we're going to look at three encouragements to Christians. Paul is writing to believers to encourage us about the end and the second coming of Jesus Christ. I'm going to read the, the passage in its entirety in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13 to 18. And then we're going to unpack this. So let's look at it together. Paul says this, to encourage us. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. Because that's what they were worried about. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Because we do have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when, help me out church, when Jesus returns... God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Because the Bible says, as a believer, to be absent from the body is to already be present with the Lord. And so when he comes back, our friends and loved ones who are believers are coming with him. Because they're with him now. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord, what? Returns. Will not meet him ahead of those who have already died. Because they're already with him. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout. With the voice of the archangel, Michael, and with the trumpet call of God, 
And first the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still what, church? We are, who are still alive when this event happens and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord, not on the earth, but in the what? In the air. That's very important. We're going to meet him in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So we should do what? Let's say it together. Let's read it together. So we should encourage each other with these words. And I hope this will encourage you and excite you about the return of Christ. So I hope you'll take some notes in your newsletter. Three encouragements that Paul gives to Christians about the end times. The first one is this. He encourages us with the return. The return of what? The return of Jesus Christ. That Christ is coming again. That we should be encouraged that Christ, Jesus just like he came the first time, he's going to come a second time. Jesus reminded of us of this and his disciples in John 14, 3, because his disciples were freaking out. They're like, Jesus, don't leave us. You're our friend. You're our Savior. You're our Lord. Why are you leaving us? And he said, don't worry. When everything is ready, I will, help me church, I will come again and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Now, I know it was the Terminator who said, I'll be back. Those famous words. But really, he stole them from Jesus Christ. Because 2,000 years ago, when Jesus left this earth, he said, let me remind you, let me encourage you, let me bring you hope. As believers, I'll be back. And the, according to the Bible, it's not the Terminator we're looking for, it's the Savior we're looking for. That's going to be coming back again for us as believers. And, and the New Testament church, the first century New Testament church that Paul was writing to, in that first hundred years after Jesus Christ left this earth, they were so excited and looking for the return of Christ, they had this standard greeting that they used. When, when brothers and sisters in Christ as believers would greet each other, they had this very important greeting. It's a little different than our greeting. You know, we have really spiritual greetings today. You know, when people come to church like, hey, sup? How you doing? What's going on? Here was their greeting. It was the word Maranatha. Maranatha. And they would greet another brother or sister in Christ and they'd say, Maranatha. Maranatha. And the word Maranatha means our Lord returns. And they were talking about that. They were praying for it. They were looking for it. They were expecting it. And they were encouraged and excited that Maranatha, our Lord is coming back. He's coming back again. And did you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that there is a crown. We're going to talk about this next week in the judgment seat of Christ for believers. That we're going to be rewarded. Not for, not for salvation. But we're going to be rewarded for our good works. And there's different crowns. And one of the crowns that the Lord wants to give us is a crown for those who love the appearing of our Lord. Those who are excited about the second coming of Jesus Christ. We're excited about it. We're looking forward to it. We're praying for it. There's a special crown in heaven for people that are looking for that. Now, unfortunately, I'm afraid a lot of American Christians today are not going to get this crown. Because we're too caught up in the here and now. And we're too caught up in trying to create heaven on earth. Instead of the heaven and the eternity, we're going to spend someday forever. And we're going to miss out on this crown because we don't really think that much about Jesus Christ return. I hope in this series, some of you will begin to earn this crown because it's going to get you excited and encouraged about the return of Jesus Christ. And I don't say that to judge you, that you might not receive this crown, because there was a time in my life I certainly was not qualified to receive this crown. There was actually a time in my life that I was praying against the return of Jesus Christ, even though I'd grown up knowing about this all my life. It was when I was engaged to be married to my wife, Shelly. And uh, we, were, we were engaged to be married. And we had made a decision, you know, we're, we're going to do it right. I said, this time I'm going to do it right. And so we are not going to, you know, be intimate, you know. 
We're not, we're not going to do that until our wedding night and we get married. I'm just keeping it real. And so during that period of time, you say, how, how long did you guys date and get engaged? I, we met, dated, got engaged. Nine months. I was in a hurry, okay? And so uh, during that time, you know, as we got closer and closer to the wedding night, I'm like, okay, Jesus, I know you're coming back, but can you hold off just a little bit? Just, just not yet. Let me get married. Let me go on the honeymoon. Give me just a few weeks, and then, then you can come back. I'm just keeping it real. So I probably missed out on that crown uh, during that time. Because I was, I was, and then after a while, after a few months of marriage, I'm like, okay, you can come back now. You can come back now. Just keeping it real. So here's what's going to happen. So that we're excited about it. Look at the details. Look at verse 16. What's, what's going to happen when Jesus returns? It says, for the Lord himself. You know, he's not going to send an angel. He's not going to send St. Peter. He's going to come. And he says, I'm coming to get my church, my people, myself. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding what, church? Shout. And with the voice of the archangel, Michael. And with the trumpet call of God. You know, when God spoke the world into order, it just says he spoke. And, and, and he spoke the worlds into order in, in our universe. The, the Bible says at times that God speaks in a still, small voice and, and a whisper. But when Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, returns, he, there's going to be a shout. There's going to be the voice of the archangel. And there's going to be a trumpet that is blowing. Because, you see, when a king would come to town, they would blow the trumpet, heralding the arrival of the king. And one day, Orchard Church, the king of kings and lord of lords is returning. And it is not going to be quiet because the greatest return in history demands the greatest shout in history. And it's okay to be excited about that event. And that's, that's what's going to trigger all this. And this is how it's going to begin. And then look what happens. In verse 16 it says, Once we hear this shout and the trumpet call of God, first the believers who have died, don't miss that, first the believers who have died will rise from their graves. And this would have been a great encouragement to the church in Thessalonica because that's what they were worried about. What about you know, our friends and loved ones who have died? Are they going to miss this? He says, no. They're going to rise. They're going to be resurrected first. We don't have a ton of time to go into this, but let me, let me give it to you this way. There are basically two resurrections we see in the Bible. There's one for believers that, that we believe happens at this event called the rapture. We'll talk about that in just a moment for those who have died. And then there's a second res resurrection that is for unbelievers that we believe, many believe, scholars believe, I agree with them, that's going to happen at the great white throne judgment. We'll talk about that next week. It's at the end of the second coming of Christ where he literally comes back to this earth. He sets foot on the Mount of Olives. He sets up a thousand year millennial reign. And then there's the second resurrection where people have to stand before the great white throne judgment of God. And they will be judged according to their work to their works and they will not be good enough. These are people who have not accepted Christ and they will be separated from God for all eternity in the Bible says in a place called hell. Here's the deal. You want to be a part of the first resurrection if you've died, not the second resurrection. Amen? You, you want to be part of the first one, not the second one. Revelation. Jesus said it this way. Blessed and holy are those who share in the help me church in the first resurrection for them the second death holds no power I heard, I heard a pastor say it this way I never forgot it you can be born once and die twice or you can be born twice and only have to die once and some of you know what I'm talking about you can be born once just have a physical birth you know your mama screamed pushed you out the doctor spanked you and you were born you had a physical birth and if that's the only birth you ever experience, you will die a physical death. And then later, the Bible says you will die a spiritual death, separation from God for all eternity. Or 
Your mama can scream, push you out, doctor spanks you, and you're born once physically. And then at some point in your life, you realize that God loves you. He wants a personal relationship with you. But your sin separates you from that relationship. And God loved you so much, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, the first time to this earth, to live a sinless life, to go to a cross, die on the cross, be buried, and rise again to conquer death, sin, and hell. And when you put your faith and trust in him, what does the Bible say? You are born again. A spiritual birth. It's what happened when uh, Jesus was talking to a man named Nicodemus. And he said, how can I have eternal life? How can I go to heaven? And he said, listen, Nick, you got to be born again. He's like, what? I'm a grown adult. How am I going to get it back in my mother's womb? He's like, no, no, no. I'm not talking about a physical birth. I'm talking about a spiritual birth. You can be born once and die twice, or you can be born twice and die once. I prefer the latter. Amen? That's what we're talking about here. You know, there's a statement maybe some of you have heard. It's called YOLO. How many of y'all know what YOLO is? Help me out if you know what it is. You only live once. This is usually what somebody says, you know, YOLO, ah, and they do something stupid. But I want to I suggest a new word for us as believers in Jesus Christ who have been born again and born twice. We should say YODO. You only die once. Amen? When you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you only die once. And so that should be a great encouragement to us. The first encouragement that Paul talks about is the return. That Christ is coming again and the dead in Christ will rise first. Here's the second encouragement. Number two, the rapture. Where Christians are taken away. The second encouragement is the rapture where Christians are taken away. Some of you have heard this word. I want to explain it. In uh, verse 17... Now, let me, let me help you out. If, if you're looking for the word rapture in your Bible and you're like doing Google searches, let me save you some time. You won't find the word rapture, but you'll find the description of the word. And it's right here in verse 17. After the dead in Christ rise first, then together with them, we who are still what, church? Alive and remain on the earth will be caught up. Everybody say caught up. We will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. You see, when Jesus Christ returns the first time, he's not coming all the way to the earth. He's just coming in the clouds and he's catching us up. He's rapturing us. The word rapture comes from the Latin word raptio. It literally means to be caught up, to, to seize, to take away to safety. That's what it means, to take away to safety. That we're going to be raptured and caught up if we're alive on this earth when this event takes place. Now, believe it or not, I have actually experienced a rapture-type moment in my life that I want to share with you as an illustration. I was raptured. Um, when I was in college, I was in my second year of college at University of Oklahoma. Uh, so if I say boomer, you say... Somebody's supposed to say sooner, but you, anyway, you're not from Oklahoma. And so I was in my second year of college, and I was having trouble paying for my college bill. And so my best friend's dad said, you know what you guys should do? You guys should just take this summer, and you should go into basic training, go into the Army National Guard, and they'll pay for most of your school GI Bill. And so I said, okay, sounds good. And so I got done right after Memorial Day. Boom, they shipped me and my best friend off to Fort Jackson, South Carolina, and I went through basic training boot camp uh, for the Army. And I was in the National Guard for, for six years. And when I went off uh, to basic training, those of you that have, that have been in the military or are in the military, how many of our veterans are here? You've been in the military, you are in the military, raise your hand. Hey, can we just thank them for their service right now? And let's just thank them. There's this, if, if you've served any time in the military, you, you know about this. So if you go off to basic training or you go off to do a, you know, a tour of duty and they send you overseas, what you don't want to receive is what is called a Dear John letter. 
And a Dear John letter is where you were dating someone before you left and they're writing you letters and then all of a sudden the letters stop and then they write you a letter that basically says, I really love you and care about you, but I think we should just be friends. And they basically are tired of wait on you, well, waiting on you. And so uh, I was dating this girl in, in college and, you know, we weren't real serious, but she was my girlfriend. And, you know, when I went off to basic training and this was back, you know, before internet and smartphones and all that, we actually had to take out these things called pieces of paper and you would take a pen and you'd write on them. You had to put them in an envelope and put a stamp on them and send them. And so she's writing me letters every day. And that was a great encouragement because I was completely cut off from the world going through basic training. And I would every day go to the mailbox looking for a letter. And then they were coming in almost every day and all of a sudden... They stopped coming in. And all my buddies were like, oh, you're going to get a Dear John letter. I'm like, no, I'm not. She loves me. Who wouldn't want this? Come on. <laughs> and sure enough, I get the Dear John letter. She's like, I just want to be friends and all that. I'm like, okay, fine. So I finish basic training. I get out just before my junior year at University of Oklahoma starts. And I, I go back to college with my buddies. And it was like opening weekend. And me and my buddies, we were going to... Um, how do I say this? Uh, it was a college entertainment facility that we were going to. And so we went there and we were hanging out. And, and I see this group of people that I knew sitting at a table. And there was my ex-girlfriend that sent me the Dear John letter. And sitting next to her was the new boyfriend. Now listen, I was a wrestler in high school. And I was in pretty good shape, and I tried to stay in good shape in college. And so when I went to basic training, man, I was pumping it out, and I was like, I'm going to be first in all races. And afterward, I was pumping weights, and I mean, I, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I was looking good. And so I, was, I, thought, I thought, man, I'm all that in a bag of chips. And so I'm wearing my shorts, and I got my tank top on so you know, everybody could see the work I'd done all summer. I was feeling really good about myself. I see that guy sitting next to my ex-girlfriend, and I'm like, oh, it's on now. And so I go over there, and he's sitting down. And I go over there and I tap him on the shoulder. I say, hey, you know who I am? The guy stands up. He's like 6'5". I'm like 5'6". On a good day. And I'm like, okay. And, and, the, and that, that's the last thing I remember. Because I feel two people like on either side of my arm just grab me, whisk me and rapture me out of there. And the next thing I know, I'm outside of this establishment. I'm just out there and I'm like, what just happened? And my friends probably saved my life. And they raptured me out of there. And that's what's going to happen to us someday. We're, as believers, we're going to be just going about our business. We're going to be at a computer and boom, we're going to be taken. We're going to be at a meal and we're going to be taken. We're going to be sitting in a church service and we're going to be taken. That's what's going to happen with the rapture. Now, there's four different beliefs on the timing of the rapture. I'll tell you what I believe. You, you have to make your own decision. Again, this is not something we're going to argue about. This is, let me kind of give you a chart. We have a chart uh, that I like to use. It's kind of an end times, an example. Uh, there's what, it's all based around the seven years of tribulation that is yet to be fulfilled in prophecy. And basically the rapture of the church, this event, some believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, that, that that's, the, that's going to be the event that triggers, and then the seven years of tribulation will follow. Some believe in a mid-tribulation that's going to happen in the middle of the seven years. Others believe in a post-tribulation rapture, that the rapture is going to happen after the seven years of tribulation. So there's pre, mid, and post. I will tell you, I am a pre-tribulation rapture um, believer. But so, clap. hey, don't, don't have to clap because I'm going to get mad, okay? So if you believe something different, that's okay. You can be here. That's a non-essential. But I, I, I believe in pre-tribulation rapture. That's what I believe. But there's pre, there's mid, there's post. And then there's one more maybe you haven't heard about. It's pan-tribulation rapture. Have you guys ever heard of this? These are people who just believe it's all going to pan out. 
just going to pan, pan out. And so whatever's going to happen is going to happen. But here's what we need to know. Here's what we believe. It's going to happen. Amen? I mean, this prophecy is yet to be fulfilled, and it is going to happen. And we've got to be ready. We've got to be ready for the return of Christ. In, in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, John said it this way, because the whole book of Revelation is about the end times. We'll look at that the third week. But, and this is one of the reasons why I personally believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, because in the first three chapters of Revelation, it's all about the church, the seven churches of Asia Minor. It's the church, the church, the church, the church, and then boom, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, John gets raptured, and then you don't read about the church again until the end of Revelation at the second coming of Christ. I think it's a picture of of a pre-tribulation rapture and John says this after these things after the church age I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I heard was like a sound familiar like a trumpet speaking with me and what did it what does the voice say come up here John I'm rapturing you I'm taking you up come up here and I'll show you the things which must take place after this and many scholars believe that after this is after the church is raptured and then you begin to see the whole tribulation period play out. But the important thing is that we're ready, that this event is going to take place. It is going to happen. We may not understand all the details, but it's going to happen because it's in the Bible and it's yet to happen. Now, it's really important that you're prepared for this and you're ready, especially when you go to bed at night and you're sleeping because there's only two kinds of people in the world. There's clothies and nudies <laughs> when you sleep. There's clothies and there's nudies. Do I need to explain this? Let me, let me ask this question. How many of you, when you go to bed at night and you sleep, you would consider yourself a clothie? Raise your hand. Clothie. Raise them up high. Raise them up high. Okay, put them down. If you did not raise your hand, you're disgusting. <laughs> Just kidding. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're not here to judge. As a matter of fact, if I'm keeping it real... I have no room to judge because I'm neither a clothy or a nudie. I'm a cludie. Most nights I go to bed with clothes on, but many times I wake up without clothes on. Now, I know what some of y'all are thinking. Oh, yeah. Sometimes that happens, okay? But Shelly likes the temperature in our room much warmer than I prefer it. I like it cold enough when I sleep that you can hang meat in the room. Any of you guys with me on that? And so a lot of times I start out in clothes and I end up without clothes on. And so I, I'm a cludie. And so, you know, I, hey, I'm just trying to keep it real. I know that's TMI this morning from your pastor. But is it okay if we have fun with this in church? Is that okay? But, you know, I, really, there's more to it. No, there's, a, there's a spiritual application to this before you all write me off and think I'm crazy. There's a spiritual application to what I just talked about. Revelation 16, 15. Look, Jesus says, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. That's why we got to be ready at all times. Blessed are all who are watching for me. There's that crown. Who keep their clothing ready. So they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. Thus saith the Lord. Now, in all honesty, Jesus was probably speaking metaphorically and spiritually in this verse. But just in case, keep your boxers and bra nearby, okay? And be ready. Be ready. Because this event could happen at any time. 
So, Paul writes to encourage us about the return of Jesus Christ, about the rapture of the church. And then I love this last one, man. This ought to encourage all of us. The third encouragement is the reunion. The reunion. Christians will be with God forever. Not only will we be with God, we'll be with Jesus, we'll be with our Savior, and we'll be with our friends and loved ones and family members that knew Jesus Christ that are now in heaven. I don't know about you guys, but I got some people I'm looking forward to seeing again. I'm looking forward to this reunion. My daddy's in heaven. All of my grandparents are in heaven. And I'm looking forward to seeing them and being reunited with them. And most importantly, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that ought to encourage us. This is going to be an incredible reunion where Christians are with God forever. And let's look at it again in verse 17, how Paul describes it. He says, then together with them, after the dead in Christ have rise, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up, raptured in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord, say it, church, forever. Forever. If this were the Sandlot boys, they'd be saying forever. Forever. We're going to be with the Lord forever. What does that mean practically for us today? This ought to encourage every one of us as believers in Jesus Christ that one day we get to look forward to this incredible reunion with our loved ones and friends that know Jesus and are with Jesus now and to be with Jesus. Because when we're with the Lord forever, it means no more sickness. It means no more death. It means no more disease. It means no more pain. It means no more cancer. It means no more poverty. It means no more injustice. It means no more starving kids. It means no more disasters. It means no more bills. It means no more divorce, no more loneliness, no more abandonment. No more hurts, no more habits, no more hang-ups, no more elections. (laughs) Maranatha, our Lord returns and we're going to be with him forever. And we'll talk about this in the next couple of weeks. And it says he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And there'll be no pain and no more sickness. That should encourage us. Does that encourage you this morning, believers in Jesus Christ? Man, this should get you excited and pumped up. So what should we be doing to prepare? I mean, what if we are living truly in the last days and the return of Christ and these events we're going to talk about in the next weeks? What if we're going to see them happen in our lifetime? I personally have to be one who believes that it's very likely we're going to see these happen in our lifetime. If I'm wrong, I would rather live my entire life believing that Jesus Christ could return at any moment than think, eh, it's not going to happen in my lifetime and not be prepared. So what should we do to prepare for the end? I know what we should do. We should build bunkers. And we should stockpile food and water and be freaked out and scared and get a lot of ammunition. So somebody comes to our house to try to get us. In the name of Jesus, we will shoot them. Now listen, I'm not against guns. I have plenty myself. But here's what we should do with what Paul is saying. Verse 18. Let's read it together, church. Let's all of us read it out. So encourage each other with these words. This is not something to be scared of. This is not something to be afraid of. This is something to encourage all of us with. And we should all be living life on mission for our Lord and Jesus, Savior Jesus Christ, and His soon return. We should be sharing our faith. We should be witnessing. We should be worshiping because that's what we're going to be doing all eternity. We should be serving. We should be generous. We should be making disciples. This is a disciple-making church. Why? Because the famous last words of Jesus when he left the first time, he said, from now until I come back, go and make disciples. And we should be encouraged. I want to close with this passage in 1 Corinthians. It's another passage where Paul is talking about the same event. 
And he's describing it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51. And this is what he says. But let me reveal to you, what church? A wonderful secret. Not a scary, freak you out secret. A wonderful secret. We, as believers, will not all die. But we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment. In the blink of an eye. When the last trumpet is blown. There it is again. For when the trumpet sounds, those who die will be raised to live forever. That's the first resurrection. And we who are living will also be transformed. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. He goes on to say, oh death, where's your victory? Oh death, where's your sting? But thank God, he gives us as believers victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, what do we do with this? My dear brothers and sisters, be strong. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Be strong and be immovable. And always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Can we celebrate that passage? That's what we're talking about. And that should encourage every single one of us, but it also should have a very practical effect on the way we live when we leave this place today by simply answering this question. If you knew for sure, now we don't, but if you did, if you knew for sure that this week Jesus Christ was going to return for his people, for his church, for this event, the rapture, are you ready? Are you ready? And if you knew he was coming back, what would you do differently? How would you live differently? Who would you tell about Jesus that you've been putting off? You know, we got Easter coming up in three weeks. There are people that will be willing to come to church on Easter Sunday that don't come any other time of the year. Get some of these cards. Invite those people. If you knew for sure Jesus, this was our last Easter before Jesus returned, don't you think you'd tell everybody you could about Jesus? And invite them to be here to hear about the power of the resurrection and what Jesus did for them? I mean, what would you do differently? What would you start doing if you knew Jesus was going to return this week, this month? What would you stop doing? Because you wouldn't want to be ashamed doing that thing if Jesus returned. Here's the thing. Whatever you, comes to your mind, whatever the Holy Spirit is saying to you right now in this moment, that's how we all ought to be living every day of our life. We should be living every day as if this might be the day that my Lord and Savior returns. Be encouraged. Maranatha, our Lord is coming again. He will be back. He will be back. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I pray that we would apply it practically to our life and that we would do, be doing the things that we should be doing, preparing for your return, that we would not be doing the things that would be dishonoring, displeasing to you, preparing for your return. And that we'd be sharing our, our faith with those around us to help them prepare for your soon and imminent return. So we continue in an attitude of prayer right now. Let me just ask you a simple question. Are you ready? I mean, are you ready? How many of you know you would say, you know what? I know there's some things in my life that I need to be doing differently to prepare for the return of Christ. Can I pray for you? Would you slip up your hand all across this auditorium? God has spoken to you in that way. Put them up nice and high, nice and high. God bless you. Hands everywhere. Mine's up with you, church. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for all of us. Father, I pray that we would live daily in anticipation of your soon return. That we would be witnessing and worshiping and serving and, and giving and making disciples and, and, and living a life that is pleasing to you. To live a life that people see that we are ready and we're excited and we're looking for your return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're looking forward to being raptured and being reunited with you and all those believers, loved ones, friends and family that are already with you. 
And may we be encouraged by the fact that our Lord is coming again. Maranatha, you are returning. As we continue in an attitude of prayer right now, that's bowed and eyes closed. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says you're not ready. You're not ready for the return of Christ because you've been born once, but you haven't been born again. And if, if the Lord returns or you die, there's a really, really, really strong possibility you're going to be separated from Jesus for all eternity. And God doesn't want that for you. We don't want that for you. You don't want that for you. So the best way for you to prepare today is to open your heart and life and receive Jesus so that when He returns, He will receive you. And you will not be left behind. So if that's you today, the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The way we call on the Lord is through prayer. I want to lead you in a prayer where you can pray this prayer. I'll help you with the words from your heart to God and invite Jesus into your life right now. Now listen, this isn't a magic prayer or magic words, but if you put belief and faith behind it and you mean it, it comes from your heart, then Jesus will come into your life today and be your Lord and Savior. And you will be born again. You had a physical birth. Today could be your second birthday, your spiritual birthday. If that's you today, would you pray this prayer of faith with me from your heart to God? It goes like this. Jesus, I want to be born again. I want to be a part of your family. I want to be your son or daughter. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I want to be ready. I want to be ready. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Heads bowed and eyes closed. No one looking around for just a moment. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I never want to do that. But I'd love the privilege right now to pray for some of you who just made the greatest decision of your life. You prayed that prayer. You meant it. And you invited Jesus in your life today. I want to pray for you that you would just grow in your walk and relationship with Jesus from this day forward. Would you slip up your hand right now all across the auditorium? God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, man. God bless you, sir. God bless you, young person down here. Thank you. God bless you over here, young person. God bless you, ma'am. Thank you. Many hands. Anyone else? Yes, I prayed that prayer. I really meant it. God bless you. Several people. Father, I, I thank you for those putting their faith and trust in you today in the first and second service. We thank you in advance for those that will make that life-changing decision in our third service today. God, I pray that we would not take for granted what has happened in our midst right now. Just like we celebrate when a baby is born and we gather around and we give gifts and we celebrate. May we celebrate even more those who are born again today into the family of God. We welcome them into your family as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we thank you for their decision. And we celebrate and we rejoice with the angels in heaven today over their decision. May they grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And may we all say Maranatha, our Lord returns. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate big time? Orchard Church and welcome some people into the family of God. Amen. 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 Listen, very important. If you just made a decision for Christ, you prayed that prayer, you raised your hand, please let us know about that. Uh, we want to continue to pray for you, send you some uh, information in the mail that will help you grow in your walk with Christ. So fill out that guest connection card that says, I accepted Christ, and uh, give us your information. Drop it in the offering bucket when it goes by. If you're a first-time guest here at Orchard Church this morning, thanks so much for being our first-time guest. Uh, we hope you fill out your guest connection card. You can drop it in the offering bucket when it goes by. We're not interested in your money today, first-time guest, but we're interested in getting to 
to know you. We'll send you a thank you note and a gift in the mail. So please let us know that you're here as a first-time guest. I'd love to meet you personally. If you're new today or newer to Orchard Church, I'll be hanging out in the courtyard by the white tent. Come by, introduce yourself uh, this morning. Uh, did you guys enjoy the first week of the end? Okay. This is not the end of the end. Two more weeks. Be back next week. Bring some friends with you. This is going to be a great series for us as we prepare for the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, right now, we're going to celebrate some baptisms from a couple of weeks ago. We're going to check out what else is going on around here at Orchard Church. And we are going to worship through our tithes and offerings because we want to be a church that gives to God first, saves second, and learns to live on the rest. I love you, Orchard Church. God bless you. Thanks for being here today.